Creek. Crack. Crack. Lambia Sonne. The conch is blowing. It's asking for us to come together. Pull up your little chair. Come listen to In Their Voices. This is a Creole phrase meaning, we will remember. Nous comptons well. We're happy you've tuned in to the We Will Remember Haiti in their voice podcast or in Creole, Na songe, na voix What do the Haitian people think about their situation, their lives, their dreams, their culture, their religion, both personally and collectively? How do they see the world? That's what we'll be learning about as we listen to the voices of the people on the street. Or in the countryside, or wherever they are in the world. It will be recorded by our colleagues, Rocky, Naji, and Alma, who are co-founders of the Nassange Vet, or in English, We Will Remember Green, a more recent branch to the foundation's work. English voiceovers will be done by podcast co-hosts Carla and Ron Blunchley. That's us who have lived in Haiti for 38 years, and as a result, uh, we feel we have a better-than-average understanding of the people, their culture, and their politics. Because of the current extreme insecurity, economic, and humanitarian crises, the Nassange Foundation, which is based in Haiti, has decided to extend its work now in a digital and audio format, hoping the same work of transformation can come through these interesting and perhaps sometimes shocking revelations from the extraordinary citizens of Haiti. Haiti, as one tradition explains, the Taino name for the land, Aiti, means the land that enables or forces one to rise to one's higher self. These are just the authentic opinions of the everyday person in Haiti, not necessarily reflecting the opinions of the Nassonge Foundation. So let's hear in their voices, Nassonge.
Welcome back, dear listeners, to In Their Voices, where we listen to the stories, lives, experiences, reflections, history, culture of Haiti in the voices of the people. Today's episode for January 24th, which has been designated as the International Day of Education, is such an important topic, but one we often take for granted especially those of us who come from the middle-class America or other countries of the wealthier parts of the world. I know I did. I ate every morning before school, took my lunch to school, ate a snack when I came home and had dinner with the family. Public schools didn't require a uniform, so there wasn't too much pressure for appropriate clothing, except in my family, secondhand clothes were the norm. We didn't have to pay for books. They were handed out every year. Our government levied a tax for education, so that it is basically free for most children. But that's not the norm for probably over 80% of the population in Haiti, especially beyond the capital or a few of the larger cities where there still is little, if any, infrastructure like paved roads, electricity, water distribution, to name a few. We asked Jenny Saint-Rosier to share his story. Well, the internet signal wasn't strong enough to do an actual conversation with him directly, so Jenny sat on a rock outside, close to his home, to share his own story. I hope you enjoy the wind blowing as he speaks. This is a story that tells the story of thousands, if not millions. It's a window. But Jenny was able to make it through, which the percentage of that is very tiny, although growing a bit more these days, perhaps, but the violent disruption by gangs these days has forced education backwards again for the past two to three years now. Jenny has been a part of the staff of the Nassonje Foundation. Links to the play Jenny is referring to called Three Innocents and a Spirit is in the show notes. So it has been an honor to get to know him, hear his eloquent talks with our visiting groups, and watch his own journey towards educating himself to be an educator, along with the schooling that he got, but that he was so natural at anyway. He is also a very spiritual young man that has shared a lot of wisdom with me and our team over the years as well. I think this episode should be counted as his thesis requirement, but he's still working on that last bit to finish his university degree. On Spotify, there's a listener support button that for this episode we would dedicate to helping to pay for this last portion of his own higher education, if that interests anyone. Nasojivit staff person Rocky also shares a bit about the education system as it is a constant topic of conversation for all of us, all of us interested in the development of the country and its future. So much is against the possibility of getting a good education in Haiti. There are incredibly courageous young people determined to find the education they need that a couple of years ago, a young woman from a very famously difficult neighborhood in the capital became the laureate of the year in spite of the constant gunfire and turmoil in her community. And it's no wonder a woman from Haitian immigrant parents became president of Harvard just recently even though, unfortunately, her stance on human rights and dignity during this time of conflict in the Middle East, outside forces obligated her to resign. But she is a testimony to the thousands of Haitians that, in spite of everything, 
make huge marks in the world's toughest places and at the worst of times. They are the lights of the world. Na songe. Bonjour, bonsoir tout le monde. So, good afternoon, everyone. Salutations spéciales à Ron, dit Ronald. Salutations spéciales avec Tante Ka, dit Carla. Special greetings to Ron and special greetings for Tante Ka, Carla. Et moi, profitez, salut chaque grand monde qui vient pour tendre l'épisode ça. I want to also greet each person who will hear this episode. Non, moi, c'est Jenny Saint-Rosier. My name is Jenny Saint-Rosier. Moi, c'est Haïtien, natif natal. I'm Haitian. Born and raised. I was born in the West Department in the district of Fonveret in a little town called Tiboulay on March 20th, 1990. So it was in this town that shares the border between Haiti and the Dominican Republic. And that is why, with the exchange I had with him since I was a child with the Dominicans, is why I know a part of the Dominican culture. I am able to get by since I was young with a bit of Spanish. I have a lot of things I know about the lives of the Dominicans. There is more than 50% of my family that lives in the western part of the island in the Dominican. So I have this exchange since I was little with these people who share the island with me and the island with Haiti, the western part. So it was in this context that I began to grow up in in a place that life appeared enough difficult in comparison with everything that can't be satisfied as far as basic needs. In the area where I was raised, water wasn't easy to get. From the time of my childhood, I count that there were two rivers, or these two springs, that required the population to walk several kilometers to get water. In the time of the dry season, during the season of March, the end of February till the beginning of April, the situation was very difficult because of the dry season. The rains don't fall at all. So then one of the rivers always dried up, which meant water was reduced to just one river, basically one spring of water, where people walked over two kilometers to go get water. Besides that, I was raised with taking care of animals, planting fields, 
That's why, too, I know in certain empirical ways, I know a lot of how to garden, about raising animals, how animals behave with each other. So this is a whole lot of things I know that aren't scientific, but empirical, because this is how I was raised. In this area where I was raised, about the whole idea of education, uh, that wasn't very easy. Because I remember at the time there was only one school. One school that you had to walk several kilometers to get to school. It was called the Mixed School of the Pentecostal of Bois Negres, that's in French. A school that mixed girls and boys. It was a school, I remember, when I went there, there was a program of child support by several international organizations, especially from the Scandinavian countries like Norvège, Finland, Denmark, the Paysayou. Those countries. So those countries did this sort of child support for certain children in that school. I had my little brothers and sisters who were supported, but I didn't have that luck. So it was always through my parents' own personal efforts to make it possible for my schooling, to pay for my schooling. I did all my grade school classes. At that time, they had a class they called Maternal Zero which I think corresponds today with preschool or kindergarten. So I did maternal zero all the way to sixth grade, which was the last class, which is the last class the school had. So when you finish that class, you should go on and you have to take a state exam. They call that getting your certificate. I remember when I went to take that exam the first time, even though I was a student that was very advanced in school, but that didn't prevent for the first time taking that exam that I failed. I failed because of a psychological problem. It wasn't that my knowledge was lacking, but because of the social and psychological aspect, this caused me to fail. Why is that? It's because a whole ritual goes together with taking this exam. So when a child is going to take the exam, because in the area where I was raised, I lacked a certain socialization, because there were people there that I had never seen in my life, because where I lived was so isolated and far away, that's why I had never seen a car in my life. And I hadn't seen all these types of people all dressed up in suits and ties. So when the time comes to go and take the exam, that means that you have to leave and go somewhere else, which meant I had to leave the area of Timbulai, the area where I was born. So I had to leave and spend three days at the place where the exam was being given, which was the center of town in Fonverret. So when I went to take my first exam, it was for the first time I would see cars. They were making loud noises in my ears. There were all kinds of people, the supervisors who came to watch the exams, who wore suits and ties and were very intimidating. So that day I was so stressed. That day I remember everything that I wrote I erased and I was writing with a pen so I had to erase and I made lots of scribbles and messed up on the paper. So I already knew when I left 
My father had accompanied me. When I came out, I told my father, I don't think I passed. I had a friend, Jeremy Fleurisme. But when I came out, I told my friend, I don't think I passed, and he said the same thing. So exactly, the results came out after, and I hadn't passed. So I didn't pass the first time I went to take the exam. My father, though, was more or less an informed person, so my father asked advice, and they said, I should retake the class because I didn't pass, so that's why I took the last class, sixth grade, I took the class again. And that's how I went back to take the exam for the second time, and so now I was used to the cars, and now I was used to different types of people, and that's why I passed this exam the second time around. After I passed my exam, I went on to a new stage. So that meant I was going to go into middle school, or the third cycle, as they say. So this is after the sixth grade, equivalent to seventh grade up to ninth grade. That's how the Haitian education system works. After preschool to first through fourth grade is called the first cycle. From fourth grade to sixth grade is the second cycle. So from seventh grade to ninth grade is the third cycle. Now that I was finished with the second cycle, I would go on to the third cycle. But the school that I went to for first to sixth grade didn't have the classes for the third cycle. That's why my parents would have to move me, take me away from the area Tiboulai, so that I could continue with the third cycle. And that's how I left the area and went down to the center of town called Fonverette, the same place where I took the exam. So I moved into the center of town for that experience for me. It required a certain placement, a kind of availability, because my father really didn't have any family in town. So that meant that a room had to be rented for me. So it required some means and accompaniment. My father, who has lots of contacts from the time we were little, thanks to that, we benefited from my father's contacts. Because from his experience of being raised in the DR and then came to Haiti and married my mother, he was someone who got involved in political things and got to know certain people, which is how he got many contacts. So it was with those contacts at the time I was continuing to the third cycle of my schooling it was a contact of my father's, who lived in the center of town. Majilo Toussaint, a friend of my father's, and his wife Rose Toussaint. To this day, I'm very grateful because, thanks to them, they helped my father for two years. They put me up at their house for two years. And so for those two years, I did 7th and 8th grade staying at their house. After that, the situation would change where I had to find another contact, another place, because I couldn't continue staying at their house. So then, my father was obligated to find another place for me. Well, now he found another friend who came from the same area as us. So we were raised in the same area. But this person had left our home area a long time ago, so he had finished his classes and he had become established in the center of town in Fonverette. 
His name was Jimette Piret and his wife Suze Preston. So they helped me spend the next two years at their house. I spent four years in the center of town. So at the first house of my father's friend, I spent seventh and eighth grade. And at the second house, Jimette, I would do ninth grade and then third, which is like tenth grade. So I spent four years not living with my mother and father. Going from the first house to the second house, things were a bit complicated as far as my needs, like food or paying school tuition or even having clothes and a whole bunch of other things. It was pretty difficult for me to not get into the details. It was pretty hard. So that's when my uncle, his name is Emmanuel Frederic, who is my father's older brother, he had been preparing to receive me in Port-au-Prince because he saw I was excelling in school. The area where I was raised, it's more common for children not to be interested in school. It's easier to be influenced by going to the Dominican, go there and live, have children, find work in the Dominican instead of being interested in school. Fortunately, I made a choice instead, and that choice is why I am where I am today. And it was through that choice, too, which is why my uncle, who's living in Port-au-Prince, in the capital of Haiti, and that's why after some time of observing, he decided to have me in his home in Port-au-Prince. And that was where I was going to do my last three classes, which would be equivalent to 11th, 12th, and then an extra year. So my uncle came and took charge of me completely from Fonverette to come into Port-au-Prince. And that's where I continued on to Réton Philo. Those are the two last classes in the area called Peigné, outside of Port-au-Prince. So today I can say I have finished my whole high school studies, which is the level of basic education. So when I finished with my high school classes, it wasn't easy because there was no way I could even dream of going to university, simply because I had already accomplished a great challenge by finishing my entire school studies. The last class called Philo was a huge thing for my family, especially my parents, who had the majority of their children who didn't continue their schooling in spite of my father and my mother starting them all in school, but they didn't continue. Among all of their children, and there were many, I was the only one who got to this point. So finishing school was a huge deal. It was as if I had the feeling that I was self-sufficient now. Not just self-sufficient. I had in my mind that I wasn't material for university, because that's very difficult to get into university. To study at that level isn't for everyone in this country. So that's why, in spite of excelling at school, I started to get involved with teaching where I worked without any professional training, teaching classes in schools, in the classes that I excelled in myself in school, like philosophy, history, subjects like that, literature. And I also did well in chemistry, too, physics I was good in. The only subject I wasn't good in was mathematics. So these subjects I excelled in gave me the possibility to teach these classes in a few schools that are basically functioning without really any principles of a system of education. 
So anyone can show up and knows the subject, the schools accept you without any problem. And you're integrated to orient the children whose parents have sent them to have this bread of education. This is how I got involved in teaching, as a way of spending time. Spending time, waiting for God, just spend time. Spend time and wait for what life had for me. So that's where I ended up. So this is how I began to teach classes in some schools. When I taught, the children liked the way I taught the class, but without any professional training, because I hadn't studied to know how to teach classes. At the end of 2015, the beginning of 2016, I was living in the area of Guojan of Penye, where there was a group in the area. But I should say before this, in my uncle's house where I was living, I found a group called ADIC, a youth group that means Association for Intellectual and Cultural Development. So when I found out about that group, I got involved in it. But with all the stereotypes of where I was born and raised out in the countryside, I had the stereotypical ways of the countryside, which was the way I was integrated in the countryside, but hadn't yet learned or integrated any principles or had any socialization. So I was very, very shy. I remember every Sunday afternoon when the group sat together, and because I was part of the house where the youth group met, and they were sharing their ideas among themselves, they were doing a lot of things that helped them to grow intellectually and socially. So when those meetings were taking place, I would find a place to hide so my uncle wouldn't tell me to go to the meeting. But one time, when I was hiding, he came and he saw where I was and said, What am I doing there? All the children are meeting. Go out and be with them. So I had to go. And that day, I remember that it was a baptism happening. They call it a baptism of fire. And that baptism of fire was really hard for me because when it was my turn to speak, I had to say something, but I was trembling like a leaf. For me to speak, I was sweating and all that, but fortunately they accepted me. That day I forced myself to say a few words. So the next Sunday for the meeting, my uncle was searching for me where I was and made me go again. So when the time came for me to speak, it was easier, and now I could start to speak publicly. So in just a short time, I got better and realized that speaking publicly wasn't a big deal. While I was in that group now, I had some friends in the area, and we were walking along. And that's when we met with a group that was doing a work that was extraordinary, even to say quite extraordinary, which was the group called Nassongé Foundation. This group was dedicated to work for the healing of the past, to understand our past, our history, understand the culture of the people, understand our past, slavery, the slavery between black people and the white people or rather between the slave master and the slave. So I remember watching the play. This play they performed, they created, was based on history. So each time the members of the group would explain the history, I felt so much at home. I really felt good. 
And so I started to intervene too as well and help to add some things with the visitors who were there. So I felt so good in this work the group was doing. At the end of 2015 and the beginning of 2016, I had a friend, a brother, Williamson Jack, who was also in the area of education. But he was going to go overseas for his studies, and he was in the Nassonje group. And because he was leaving, and I had started to contribute to the group, it seemed that it had an impact. So, because Williamson was leaving, the woman who was the director, who was Carla Blunchley, she asked him, since he was leaving, if I couldn't take his place. So this friend, this brother, spoke to me and I felt it was a huge deal, an opportunity to be truly integrated in a place where I felt I could be useful. Because in that, I saw they were involved in history, and I teach history, and I love history. So there, I really felt I would be useful. So that's how I got involved in this group when my friend left. In the year 2016-2017, we hosted a group a group of pastors. And that's when I was going to do what I had been doing well, and what was to teach and share what I know. And that's when I met a friend who would become a friend after. And this was going to change my mind that I couldn't go to university. In this group, I met a very special person, Tammy Scalise. She kept in touch with me after she left Haiti. We wanted to communicate, but she didn't speak Creole, and I didn't speak English. So that made me go look for ways to communicate. I remember I looked for English books to find some words, to be able to say some things. But I don't know where she found a few words of Creole, too. But that helped us to be able to communicate. So while we were communicating and talking, I asked her what she thought if I went to learn to speak English and that would help us to communicate better. She asked me, was there a place for me to learn? And I said, yes. There are lots of schools that teach English in Haiti. And she said, go find a school to learn English so we can talk. That was good news. So I went ahead with the idea to learn English, and so this was the first step. So while I was in this first stage of learning English, and she was paying for this course for me, I thought perhaps she could pay for a, a vocational course for me as well, so I proposed this to her. If she would be willing to pay for some vocational course, perhaps two- to three-year course, and in a way I could learn something so I could be useful to my family and helpful to my country. The idea was welcomed even though we were still stuttering in each other's language. So that's how we decided to opt for some professional vocational course. So a professional course was the second step. And now a third step was coming because I thought if she could pay for vocational school for two to three years, perhaps she could pay for university. So the idea was welcomed, the idea with no problem to pay for me to go to university. 
Wow, what an amazing idea. Gianni Saint-Rosier, the son of Raphael Saint-Rosier, Joachimène Jean-Louis, who came from Tiboulay in the district of Fonverette, who didn't have a hope in the world for this, but now has this possibility. He's found a door that would pay for university, which means he'll go to university. So this was the third great step. Now it was to find a university, searching for a university, for a guy from the sticks like Tim Boulay, who came from humble beginnings, who wouldn't have thought it possible. There wasn't any idea that this great thing could happen. This is how I started university, in order to help my country for my country to make progress. Haiti is a country essentially based in agriculture. This is the slogan of the country. So the more you are in agriculture, the more the country will benefit from you. So that was good. So I signed up at Kiskeya University, but there was a competitive exam to take, and I passed the exam, and I was admitted as an independent student. But I signed up so that I could become an agronomist. I went through the first semester, but I wasn't satisfied because there were so many mathematic courses, basic courses, like I said before, I wasn't very good at mathematics. I thought I was good at physics, but the physics they were teaching made me get lost in those types of physics. It made me realize, ah, this wasn't where I belonged. The chemistry course I didn't have a problem with, but I didn't feel like I did the semester very well. I didn't pass the courses very well, and I got discouraged and thought there's not a way I can be in agronomy any longer. So I said to myself, why aren't you doing what you love to do, which is teaching? So I changed departments and went into education, and that's how I spent four years. Four years at the University Department of Education. So all that is left now is my dissertation to finish my university degree. So I'm teaching now and feel so much at home. I am being of service and where I was meant to be, where I can serve my country in the situation it's in. Jenny Saint-Rosier is now in the education field. So he's now integrated and instead of agronomy, education at Kiskeya University. So this brought a huge change in my perception. It wasn't me that chose education, rather education chose me. I can say with all my heart that education and I are one. So I went into university to become an agronomist and became an educator. So this is how my philosophy about life is. Is none other than one person who really tries to understand the behavior of another person. In other words, how a person acts one with another, human relationships. There's no other fundamental tool that tries to bring together to understand behavior other than education and psychology. It can be studied, it can be described, it can be predicted, it can be modified. 
But what's the most meaningful to integrate behavior is nothing other than education. Which means an educator is one of the most sensitive persons on the planet Earth. You can't go without an educator. Because all that we do as an educator, not even a teacher, but an educator, in the sense that a teacher is just satisfied with teaching a curriculum. But an educator is happy when he creates a well-grounded program and to know what that program will bring into the present life, but especially in the future lives as well. And that's why an educator is everything he does or says to be effective. An educator knows that normally, when you are making an intervention, it's not just for the local level, it's a planetary intervention. An educator knows that how they affect the lives of children, they do it for themselves and they do it for others, for the life of the environment and for the life of the planet in general. So an educator can't play with the types of actions they are doing. They can't play with the decisions that are going to bring about a change in behavior. An educator is always aware of these things. An educator doesn't decide to just do anything, but they know they will have an impact. That's why an educator doesn't have a color of skin, doesn't have children. All the children are his own children. As long as it is someone on the planet, they all have a connection with them. Why? Because an educator respects the principle of unity. And that principle is what makes you and I the same. If I decide to say that you aren't the same as me, I can decide to say that, but I know the consequences are going to come in the short run. So in that way, an educator is there to really know, to really teach how present actions will affect the future. An educator knows that when they bring good things for the children they are teaching, they know they are doing it to preserve their lives and other lives too, as well as the whole planet. I always say that education is the common bread that everyone has the same right to the same amount. Today, I may neglect a child that lives near me when I have the possibility. But I know if I want to live in a neighborhood where everyone lives in harmony, that child, I should notice them and see how they act, and I should go to them and do what I can for them. An educator knows that if I educate my child well, and I don't help another child, it would be impossible to expect the future to be better, because it's the same child that will be a problem later on. And that's why I say that humanity in general is not well-educated, because they don't consider your problem is their problem, or their problem is your problem. If we understand we human beings are living on the planet, and the planet is for us, then the planet, we must protect it. Then we will know that it's the kind of education that we will promote in our personal lives, in our family lives, our community lives, 
in our social lives or in the planet's life, that this will effectively bring results that we are hoping for. So in this way, humanity is not well educated because the world education system doesn't promote these sorts of things. The world educational system only promotes more individualism. It only promotes the idea for each to look out for themselves, but it doesn't promote the values to know that we each depend on life on the planet, but rather be working to destroy the planet. And I don't see any reason for us to destroy life on the planet while that's where we are living. Even if this worldwide education system is like this, it's like we have re-education that makes us believe it's better to see if there is life on the moon or life on Mars or life on other planets, instead of improving the life here, we have to look for life on other planets to show our technological advancements without knowing that we really should be improving this life. So it's in this kind of stupidity humans find themselves and why there are still problems on this planet that still haven't been resolved. So it was a great pleasure to have this talk this afternoon. So I hope another time we can continue to talk that can bring light to some things and some perceptions we have of ourselves, of our history, of our lives, and others. Thank you, everyone. Greetings to the Nassonge Foundation, especially Nassonge Vet, without forgetting also all our fans who are following us from far or nearby. Hats off to you. Today is January 24th. The International Day of Education. It's a time to think about those of us in the society who are responsible for education, because education is, as we know, is the true means to assure training and development of a country, of a person. What is called the science of education. January 24th is a time to think about as Haitians. What sort of education do we have, which for a long time in our country needs change, to be redone, rethought, re-envisioned? We're thinking of this not only for Haitians who are living outside in other countries, with a different educational system in comparison to our educational system that isn't really our own, that doesn't identify us as Haitians. That's why the church is part of education. School is education. Politics is education. On the macro level, but on the micro level, 
There's the family. I think education is like a mosaic that should have the means to come together to create a balance in society so that society can evolve for the society, society to develop. If you look at the level of the school system we have in Haiti that's preparing citizens for the future, to replace those of today. They don't give you an education that teaches us to live together. Not only that, there isn't a basic education in the school system where children have access to even go from one place to another. Like education in the city isn't the same as education in the countryside, for instance. In the countryside, when the rain falls, the children can't go to school because the rivers get high. When they get to the river, they have to take their shoes off to cross the river and then dry their feet again and put their shoes on again. And then when they get to school, they have to wipe their feet again. The environment of education in the countryside is difficult. Because how education itself, when it came to Haiti in the 60s, with schools, it was what Europe was promoting which came to Haiti. Each came with their own educational system, but doing the same orientation for us. It's an education of a new kind of slave system that prevents us from advancing, that doesn't have anything to do with our identity. There's discrimination. There's ethnic, cultural, social problems. You find basically a war going on in the type of their acculturation in the education system because Haitians are studying French, they're studying French philosophy, French literature. But in Haiti, you shouldn't be studying French literature. You should be studying Haitian literature. Education in Haiti. There are a lot of professors teaching classes, but they never went to teachers' training schools. It's just because they know about a subject and that's what they start to teach. But they're not a trained teacher. Often, the director, owner of the school, they aren't trained educators either. They just may have access, a building, or they have friends, or they have an influential job so they can have a school. All of these are problems in society, but it affects all of the education because that is the basis and development of a society. We have to start with school, but not just school, but also church, everything that is educating. The government, it has the technology to use to accompany the population without making empty promises to create a state of trust and a consciousness that would allow us to become enlightened and developed. 
Today is a day of reflection for young people to reflect and think about where they are now, where they come from, where they want to go to create a new basis of orientation instead of the country continuing to go backwards, but rather stopping this hemorrhage so that we can advance, to have a new foundation that would allow us to have an identity of our own. Then there would be other countries that would want to know about our culture and learn from us that would help us develop and give us a worth as value as a people on the international level. So today, speaking as a Haitian, I think that if a Haitian travels somewhere and talks to another person from another country and then identifies himself as a Haitian, they feel inferior. So it should be our education system that provides us with this pride on our ancestors and our parents to respect them so that we can talk about our country. We haven't done anything to create the respect and value of the father of our country, Dessalines. We need this kind of change. We need the youth at every opportunity to come together so that every level where education, Haiti at the level it is today, is because education has gone backwards. It's degenerated. Now is the time to think, reflect to see how we can go forward so the children have access to education. No one is excluded. Everyone is included. It is well-founded and on a higher level. It shouldn't be that to go to a better school to get better training. So I'm sure of finding work because those schools are more expensive or the only other choice is a poor school where even the professors don't show up. Can't make any progress in learning or passing the exams. Family doesn't have the means and there is hunger. So this is just a, a bit of all of this, so I, I think this day is important. Uh, some closing remarks. The subject of education has been a hot topic in our conversations with Haitians since 1985. I've heard a lot of people talking about the need to change the education system, to uh, start elementary school in Creole, and then after a time start teaching French like they do in other countries, in Europe and such. And nothing's changed. In fact, <laughs> they're still using the same lousy paper textbooks that they had in 85. It's like some of the material hasn't been updated in decades, and it was insufficient and poorly produced to begin with, especially in science. I remember seeing this picture of in this book. It looks like a pencil-drawn picture of a cell. That's the only thing that they had to go on to conceptualize a cell. Nobody ever had a microscope in their class to see a cell under a microscope and get a better image in their minds. Something that basic we take for granted in our schools. They get that maybe at the level of uh, the fancier high schools or college, but it's, a, it's an education system that's focused on teaching people how to speak French well and teaching it badly. So that uh, basically the only kids that can really benefit from the education system are those that have uh, are smart enough in language ability where they can pick up French 
basically on their own and learn how to speak it well, and then they get the social advantages that brings. And it's such, <laughs> it's something I agree with Rocky and ba basically all of our friends. We all agree on this. It's just shameful, and it reflects that sense institutionalized, enculturated sense of inferior in the face of the French system or the American system or any country that's well-developed and wealthy, their system compared to... It's, it's like a self-defeating self -defeating attitude, really. It perpetuates itself. It's always been a shame. I don't know what the solution would be. I don't expect anything really to come from the United States because our education system has been going downhill, as anybody with eyes to see can tell by the, the, by the crazy bullshit that people believe these days. <laughs> it's like nobody's learning critical thinking anyway. But I hope someday, I hope someday a new generation will do something and shake Haiti out of its addiction to inferior education system and internalize some pride at a, at a collective level. There are individuals that have it, but, you know, collectively, it's a bad situation, especially now with all the, the gangs and the chaos. Uh, but, you know, we know enough people that, that really shine in spite of all those barriers. Uh, you know, people like Rocky, who... who uh, come out of it whole and understanding and confident in, in his identity as, as a Haitian. And we, we know Haitians like that, and it's uh, inspiring to see. It would be nice if someday the larger powers that control Haitian politics would allow some of these people to actually take power instead of preventing them from, because they're too nationalistic in, in, in their politics. They are too interested in doing what's right for Haiti rather than just following the, uh, the status quo. But who knows? We'll see. This podcast is sponsored by the Nassonje Foundation, which was founded in 2010. The foundation is based in Haiti and with its local staff has for more than 12 years hosted people from around the world with the intent of immersing visitors, students, professionals, journalists, researchers, and all who want to understand deeper the language, culture, and history of Haiti for the possibility of healing and transformation for all of us. The music for our intro and outro portions of our podcast was commissioned by the Nassonje Foundation. That was me asking our dear friend and songwriter Mona Augustin to write a theme song for the foundation. So we composed this beautiful song and our band, De Racine, or Two Roots, performed it and is available on our album links in the show notes along with the English translation. Of course, not forgetting Shukwa Liberté or the tree stump of freedom. There are links in the show notes to find more of their music on YouTube. Our podcast artwork is by our colleague, friend, and multi-talented artist, Naji, who will be opening an Etsy shop soon to showcase reproductions of his original work for sale. We hope you have enjoyed this episode and maybe even learned something new. IET is the land and the voices that enable one to rise to one's higher self. So perhaps you may have even felt the gentle tug from those loving arms of Mama IET, 
lifting you to higher ground. Na songez.